All right, it's the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, episode 119. Actually, I guess it's technically episode 19, but you know, it's just how we number things. I'm Adam, and with me always are my northern friends, Richard and Roy. Good evening, everyone. This is Rich from St. Louis, Missouri. I was going to say sunny St. Louis, Missouri, but it's not. (laughs) And I'm uh, Roy from West Michigan, Holland, Michigan. And uh, we're looking at a big snowstorm coming. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've got one that's just barely missing us right now. It's okay. going into northern Missouri, but it's missing us, so. it's It's been 70 here, and I just <laughs> I just got back from uh, Florida, Orlando, Florida for Thanksgiving, where, yeah, it was like 75, so, yeah. Walked around in shorts. It was nice. Very nice spring day. Huh. So, uh, some... Uh, Thanks to start this show out. A couple of things. Uh, Number one, I have a GoFundMe up and running uh, for domain uh, hosting and domain costs for the year 2019. So uh, I just want a measly $150 for my Kickstarter. So um, that's a GoFundMe. But um, let's see, let's see what we what we get. You know, if you could toss me a dollar, five dollars, that'd be great. And uh, just see, you know, I don't really push Patreon or anything really too much. It exists, but you know, I never really push it. So I just, I'm just curious if you guys like this, you know, enough to toss us a little bit of a just clear 150 bucks for the next year. It'd be great. Dollar a okay. show. Yeah, it's just dollar a show. It's a good, just a good deal. And um, the other thing, uh, I was. This is a YouTube video that I'm hoping gets spread everywhere, and this will become a whole movement, but it may not. I uh, had this idea yesterday because I got a text message from my friend Chris. He was like, hey, are you still serious about doing that D&D, you know, uh, financial aid thing that you mentioned? And I was like, oh, man, uh, I kind of forgot about it. But, um, yeah, uh, it's what I'm calling D&D under the tree. And essentially what it is, he, he messaged me to let me know that Amazon right now has D&D starter sets for $12. So I encourage you, I challenge you to buy as many as you can and give them away to kids this holiday season. I'm going to buy I'm going to buy 10 myself. I'm going to drop 120 bucks and um I'm going to give them to my local store to give out to I mean, yeah, that's how you know who who needs it. They know the little kid that's there. And yeah, I actually dropped in the audio in the YouTube video I made from that show it was like five, six shows ago. It was back in, I think, September that we talked about it. And uh, yeah, so this is this is something I'd like to see take off. D&D under the Christmas. Uh, D&D under the tree. That's what it's going to be. Even better if you're willing to play with them. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. that's that's absolutely true. But, you know, if it's a kid that wouldn't, you know, he spent all his money on Pokemans and yeah, he he needs uh, he, he he wants and needs that starter kit. It's fun to watch kids play D&D. I mean, that's the their imaginations just run wild. And I mean, I remember as a kid playing D&D and the rules were just sometimes they were followed and sometimes they weren't. But we had more fun than. I, I still play D&D. I play some other RPGs. 
Um, but it's never as much fun as it is when you're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. That's that's probably the prime time for that. Well, I, I hope I hope it works. You know, I, I really do. I can think of like several stores in my area and which I'll give my, my local shop a chance. You know, like I've, I've sent them an email. I'm like, look, I'm doing this. And, can, you know, can you know, can you get close to twelve dollars? I'll buy them from you and then I'll <laughs> give I'll give them to you to um, to give out, you know. And would you match me if I buy ten? Will you also buy ten? You know, and yeah, let's let's do this. Let's make this a thing. I'm excited. So, what was your first exposure to D and D? Mine, uh, mine was junior high. I was not. I don't think I was driving at the time. It was junior high, and uh, my friend Chad had the red box set. Okay. And, and took us through one of the adventures there because he just wanted to like DM, and um. I, you know, me and uh, my friend Benji, we were the players. You know, we just went through and played. And past that, when I got older, I always kind of pushed away from like role playing. Always got invited, always got asked to it, but I was just, I was just never interested. And honestly, now I buy a ton, ton of books, and I mainly just buy them to read. I don't. Yeah, I've talked about this on the show before. I don't know if I could actually sit down and you know and play uh you know for hours and hours and hours it would have to be for me to do it it would have to be like a hard two-hour thing but that's just me and i'm weird so you know i know that <laughs> I, I got problems so what about you guys uh i started with the uh with i think i started with the red box and then i went back and bought the the full ad and d the the monster's manual the player handbook and the dm's guide but i actually started with the red box now, I'm a little bit older than you guys, and I was in sixth grade, so I would have been 12. And I had some friends in a class who were talking about their brother had come back from college, like he was a freshman in college, and had come back with this strange new game and, and was playing it with his little brothers. And uh, the way they were describing it, it sounded like, I guess, what we'd call LARPing now. But then... Um, Explained it a little bit, a little bit more, and and explained that it was this, you know, this tabletop thing, and it sounded so cool. And I asked um, a family friend for it for Christmas, or I had mentioned that I thought it'd be really cool to get this. And so um, when I got the the wrapped package, um, the the family friend said, "Well, what do you think that is?" And I felt it, and I said, "Well, it feels kind of like maybe like a paint set." You know, like a paint by numbers kind of thing, and I was I was so so jazzed when I when I tore the paper off and it was the red box. So that was my uh, first kind of exposure to to D and D, and I still have that that it's it's dog-eared and worn and everything. Um, I still have that that red box book. I don't have the red box anymore, and I think I got rid of some of the dice because the dice are pretty crumbly. But that was my first experience was was for Christmas. I got the red box. That's really really cool. Um, you know, I ran into so many people that had that same experience with it. You know, just it just opened up this whole thing. And you know, I kind of hope that's that's kind of why I wanted to do this. Is I'm kind of hoping for that. You know, now it's like you know you got to light light those fires. You know, for you mm -hmm. know, 
some kids are going to try it and not dig it. Other kids, it's just going to be, they'll be able to point back to this, you know, years from now when they're a, you know, a board game designer or something. You know, it was like, hey, I got one for free one year because some weirdos on the internet were giving them out and I got one and it changed my life, you know. So, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I just, I just kind of hope for it. Like I said, you know, in, in the previous podcast, <laughs> I just felt so bad for um these kids that would come up to me and be like hey you know man i've heard so much about D and blah 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 and i i'm really excited to try it how much is this player's guide and it was like you know it's 50 dollars. i think we had them on sale for like 40 but still it was just this insurmountable amount of money you know for them (laughs) And, and we're the the box set it gives you maps and you know all that stuff just enough to get you started and you know if, if you like it, you know, you can kind of go from there. So yeah. the, the, the starter sets are $12, you say? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to double-check that right now. But as of last night, they were mm-hmm. uh, they were $12, which is, uh, I don't know, like 60% off or something like that. 40, mm-hmm. You know, 40% off. Because I think they're regular uh, 20 Yep, looks like eleven ninety nine. Yeah, so there you go. It's, it's you cannot beat that price, you know. Oh. Um, I see. I per I purchased this item on October thirty first, uh, twenty fourteen. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I have one. So yeah, so there you go. You can't. I can well, drop yeah, a couple 40- of copies into a Toys for Tots barrel somewhere. Yeah, it's four. It's forty percent off. And see, yeah, I guess I should have mentioned in in um in the video I did. I you know, I should have mentioned. It's like don't give it to like Goodwill or any any place that would sell it. But absolutely, like Toys for Tots would be would be good. But mm-hmm. you know, I for me, I want to lean hard on my on my local store and on my local gaming groups. I'm like, surely you've had kids come up that are interested, oh. you know? Yeah. And uh, or you know, if your local school has a club, you know. Do Although you the know? Salvation Salvation Army might frown on that a little bit, so ah. maybe not give it to them. Ah. 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 Uh, yeah, that's true. That's very true. But anyway, they can, that's they can play the clerics. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, it's true. They could, um, they could be clerics that worship Jesus and go from there. Um, so there you go. I'm doing those things. We I played start... dun- I played oh. Dungeons and Dragons at church camp when I was a kid, so it's okay. Uh-huh. It's weird. Well, I'm... see, you're, you're further north than I am. That would not happen <laughs> down here. Those those liberals in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we always start the podcast out with what you're playing lately, and I just got back from Board Game Geek Con, and it was an interesting experience, uh, for me. I, I mean, I've been to tons of cons, but I'd never been to one where the primary focus was board games. And so it was just really, really interesting to me. Um, I have, like, some friends that are hard core hardcore board gamers that's like you know that's all they do it's just board gaming and i have friends uh my friend robin i've talked about him on the show before i'm reasonably sure owns probably anywhere between 700 to a thousand board games and that's what he did he hosts uh, when he lived here he hosted the like a tuesday night game that you would have anywhere from like 10 to 30 people show up and it'd be all over his house at different tables playing different things. Uh-huh. 
So that that's the kind of person who was there. And he was there, but he was so busy, I never even got to say hi to him. And I would, like, follow him on social media. He would talk about, like, you know, in just the morning, the morning between, like, 8 to noon, the guy played, like, six different games. And it was, yeah, just amazing to me. And by, like, the end of the day, you know, he's, he's played 18 to 24 different games. And, yeah, it was just everywhere. And they opened up all kinds of space, all kinds of space for you to play at. But you still, you know, people would have to go play in the corner of somewhere. So I went in interested in wargaming. And apparently there is a small minority of people there who are in, into wargaming. And, um, yeah, it was a little bit more difficult to kind of get done um they uh they get booked up fast i got one guy canceled on me for a thing i uh, canceled on uh, one guy and um they kind of let us in one room and you would have people coming in and it, the weird thing is, is like the amount of quote-unquote board game celebrities that were there like you know my friend chris came in, he was like oh my gosh you'll never guess who i was in the elevator with, and I'm like, uh, okay, who? And he's like, John Johnerson, or, and I'm like, who's that? You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh, he's the guy that designed blah 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, man, I, yeah, you got me on that one. But you had, um, uh, you know, there were some war game uh, guys there, or at least that are big on like board game geek and stuff like that that came through that people pointed out to me like, oh, that's so and so, that you know, oh, that's so and so, um. It was a big deal that um, uh, Bebo from uh, Bebold Games was there. Uh, I never I saw her, but you know people were, were talking about her, and um, yeah, so it, it it was a thing. It was just a weird thing, you know, with board game celebrities, and um, yeah. So uh, I, I, if you like to board game, I'd highly recommend it. If you like to war game, I don't know, because uh, it's like. I'll talk about what I played in a minute, and it just kind of, it did take some time. Maybe that was normal. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. We'll so, see. as far as wargaming is concerned, it sounds like you're saying that there were some opportunities there, but they were already filled up? Well, yeah, there's not that many people were there to actually do it. Okay. And, and so, they kind of filled up, and I, you know, I kind of made my thing... Uh, late and in fact I just tossed a whole bunch of stuff that I had that I wanted to try and play on and I, I got some bites that way including like oh, one guy he, who was like yeah, the game we played well I mean I'll talk about that in a minute you know but um, yeah that, that was just kind of the thing it wasn't that many opportunities because they all booked up there yeah. were guys that you know that were spending like all day playing um What's that uh, World War One game you like, Rich? Um, Pass of Glory. Yeah. yeah. That would like spend like all day playing that. Yeah, and that's it's only a two-person game too, so it's not like you can get more people at the table. You know, there are some games that are multiplayer, but that's most of the war games I would say are heavily skewed toward the two-player. There's not a whole lot of multiplayer games out there, so if if that's what you're looking for, you know. A two-player game is going to give two people space, whereas, you know, a multiplayer game lets more people play in the same amount of table space. Yeah, 
Um, which I mean, you know, it's it's first come first serve. You don't right. have to do it. They even made that announcement in the main hall that like, hey, you can't hold tables for your friends while they go eat lunch for forty five minutes and stuff. But yeah. So were the game signups ahead of time or how'd that work? Well, yeah, they were done through Board Game Geek, and it, you know, it, okay. it's done it's done virtually, and so. You know, you trade like uh, info. You know, you're like, here's my phone. Here's my phone number. Just text me when you got a place, and you know, it'll be like, okay, we'll meet here in 15 minutes in this hall. Oh, okay. So that kind of thing. I did. So, a l- okay, go ahead. Oh, at uh, um, Dice Tower Con, it's kind of a hybrid of through Board Game Geek. Then they have their own app where they have kind of put it together to schedule games, and then it's some of us just pick up like through texting or whatever, too. Um, but one of the cool things that I've seen at Dice Tower Con, and maybe you had this at Board Game Geek Con, is um, if a table was looking for players, you could get a little tower that said looking for players, or you could also get one that said looking for teacher. Um, so if you had something new that you'd never played before, but you were looking for some insight, you could get some some schooling at it. Did the Board Game Geek Con have that? They did. Look, okay. In you know, in their huge open area, they had these little flags, where uh, it would be like looking for players, or mm-hmm. you would see people like with whatever game it was, in their hand, walking around with a flag that says uh, like looking for players, or walking around ones that said like looking for teacher. Yeah, that's you know, that really so, helps in those those cons like that. Yeah, that reminds me. I do want to try to uh, message them about doing an event at Dice Tower Con. Can we get a, like, a little room where we could do a live show? That'd be fun. Uh, pr- probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try for that. Get, okay. You know, get a couple of guys to come in there and heckle us while we try to do the show. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be a thing. We'll see. As we drink so. Malort. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was it. And... Um, I, you know, I grabbed like all of my stickers and magnets and buttons and I headed, you know, over to Dallas and I did so much networking in the elevator. I just started carrying like a ton of buttons in my pocket and the elevators were super crowded. So when everybody got in, I would reach in my pocket and pull out a handful of buttons and just kind of like stick them out in front of everybody. And you you have to take one or you, you know, you would be rude if you didn't. <laughs> So, although some people are like, no, I don't want a button. But, you know, most people did. They picked it up, and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, it's my little podcast. So, if you're listening, hello, you know, we met in the elevator. And it was a whole thing. <laughs> I gave out stickers, you know, the the same way and it, when I ran out of buttons. And, you know, the magnets, eh, that was probably shouldn't have bought those. You know, nobody seemed to be too interested. I did leave some sitting around, and, yeah, so there you go. Just... In the parking lot, just stick them on cars. <laughs> That's what I should have done. Just walking through, just bang, bang, bang. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> the flea market. Oh my lord! This this was a very interesting thing. I did the virtual flea market. I like bought one thing and sold like four things. But that's not like what people normally do. Apparently. You come in, you're selling, like, you know, 20 things, and you're buying 25 things. And the way people do it is they have, like, the name of the person, or at least their board game geek name, on an envelope, what it is, and the cash is stuffed in there. 
So it's literally nothing but people walking around handing out envelopes of cash and, ha- and, and handing off or picking up board games. It was the strangest thing I had ever seen. So cardboard uh, crack drug deals. Yeah, it is. It's this massive, yes, drug deal going on. Like, cause uh, I had a, I was at a table with a, a friend of mine from this area, and he had this huge, huge amount of stuff that he was selling. But then he had a huge stack of envelopes too. Then his wife was like going around and buying all the stuff that he had bought. So I guess maybe everybody just kind of broke even. Maybe I don't know. It's like I got rid of a bunch of games and then I bought a bunch of games. So. That was kind of a whole thing. That was that was interesting. And then the other flea market they did was for a select group of people, you could just go in there, set your stuff out with prices, and it was completely slammed in there. And you just kind of just... You didn't walk so much as you had to follow the flow of the crowd or be trampled. And you you would kind of stop on little islands and maybe buy stuff. I did get a bunch of like uh, decision games. The is it decision that they were there? It's the ones that do the folio games. I bought a bunch of the folio games and the little games, uh, the, the other little games from one guy, and they were super cheap. So, yeah, I thought I heard Rich gasp. Yeah, I was thinking when you were asking, uh, but decision. I think is it is decision games that does the folio games. I'm picturing them in my head now. But yeah, he was there. I never got around to interviewing him. And yeah, my coverage fell apart, you know, after a while. You know, hey, I'm Adam Chance. I suffer from anxiety and depression. And so it was a whole thing. And um, yeah, so uh, that that was that uh, with uh, Board Game Geek Con. I, well, you know, and I'll talk about like what, what I actually played as well. What is New Dawn? Somebody stuck that on there? Oh, that's me. I, and I've talked about this before. This is like a uh, shorter version of Twilight Imperium. Um, and we uh, we had another go-around at it, and it went about as well as the first time around, which was kind of pretty slow and clunky at the start. And then as we people understood what was going on, it, uh, it got a little better. Um, but the uh, designer is a, a Greek gentleman, so I think that there's a, the... Uh, instructions there's quite a bit of problems with uh uh loss in translation kinds of things so i mean it it has some potential but and we're still kind of trying to decide whether we're going to hang on to it or not what's it set in it's uh there's a game called among the stars it's from stronghold oh, games yeah yes. so it's about. a sequel yeah. to among the stars okay so the the artwork is great in it um which i'm a sucker for but the, there's it it kind of feels like it takes up too much table space for what it is. Or it doesn't deserve the table space that it takes up. Because <laughs> there's cards everywhere, and yeah. So. You know, I've, I've noticed that trend, you know, and when I was walking around, like, uh, Board Game Geek Con, I get a little overwhelmed when there's too many fiddly bits just everywhere. You know, it's it's like I have this, I have that. You know, I, I've complained about Gloomhaven being mm-hmm. utterly ridiculous for the amount of stuff that it, you have on the table. You know, and I, I don't know. I guess they're trying to be like just a deep game or something. Uh, yeah, Gloomhaven though, it's it, Gloomhaven isn't really that bad. It's 
it's mostly having all the stuff available so that you can pull more stuff out because you know every basically every type of thing that you're going to fight is going to have a card that's maybe like three inches by three inches. Um, it's going to have a deck of that you're going to pull every round to see what it does, what type of attack it does. Um, the problem is some of the scenarios, if you're fighting six different types of creatures, then it really starts to take up a lot of space. But it's not its not necessarily that bad. Gloomhaven isn't – it's not huge. Um, I played, I've played games that take up a lot more space than that. And uh, what's this next thing on you? Oh, uh, Prime Climb is also me. Uh, we, uh, my wife picked up a, on a Black Friday sale from Amazon this game called Prime Climb. And it's a pure math game. And it's about prime numbers. So the, the board goes in a spiral from 0 to 101. And each uh, number has a, a different colored circle around it that kind of denotes what it's divisible by. So, like, all of the prime numbers are red. And numbers that are divisible by 7 are purple. And uh, 2 is orange. So, like, 14 will be purple and, and orange have an orange, a circle around it. Um, and so there's two D10s that come with it, and you roll the dice, and you can you know, add one die and then multiply by the other, or you can add and subtract uh, to get back and forth. And if you land on a prime, then you can draw a card, which gives you a special thing that you can do. So it's a pure math game where you're um, adding and subtracting the numbers and trying to get them all to, uh, trying to get your two pawns to 101. And then, like in the game Sorry, um, if you can land on another opponent, you can bump them back to the start. So it's it's um, you know it's it's interesting. There's there's um, there's plenty of quick thinking math there. So good for kids, I think. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, <clears throat> so it's pretty simple. Out, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say like that game is some kind of. If, of either like either it's like a last starfighter kind of thing and like some you know aliens are going to pick <laughs> you up or you're going to be drafted into some government program depending on how you do that right? well so yeah that's, that's what i believe okay <laughs> so yeah if we never hear from roy again we'll know it was, it, it was that game now he's breaking codes for the cia with his knowledge yep. of prime numbers that's mm. me um, what I actually got to play at Board Game Beat Con, first I'll, I'll oh, say is, is, is like, um, it's, read your rule book is, they were, I had people that were upset with me because I did not read my rule book, and, um, uh, that, that's a thing, you know, so war gamers are super serial about that, so. So fine. you went, you went into the games without proper rules knowledge, that was the problem? Yeah, and I guess I don't. I don't, and maybe I've talked about this before. I, I don't understand it because, like, you know, I figure like you'll get a win off me, and that that's what you need, <laughs> what what you're looking for. But apparently not. They the people they don't want to win. They want to actually fight, and you know, for it to be like a struggle. They either want like a a loss where you know they tried really hard, or like a, a win that they absolutely fought hard for. So, um, yeah, so I'm sorry. I get that, though. Um, Have you guys read the King Killer series by Patrick Rothfuss? Yes, I've heard of it. You you haven't read it, though? No. 
okay, in the book, there's there's a game that there's no plot spoilers here or anything, but there's a game that they play at one point. It's called Tack and T A K. They've actually made it into a real game. Um, I don't own it. I've looked at it and I've thought about picking it up. Um, but the point of the game is not to win. It's to play a beautiful game. And I can I can totally see that on some of these um, big war games, especially the historical games. Obviously, you want everyone playing to win, but the story of the game is more important than actually winning the game. Because if you're going to sit down for you know several hours and play a big game with someone, if losing the game is going to wreck your day, then it's not worth the six-hour investment. So what you really want is a good game. What's the name of the game? The game of the game in the book is Tack, T-A-K. And they've actually ah. – he made it up for the book, but then they turned it into a real game as well. Yep, Cheap-Ass Games produces it from yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I'll link this in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because I always like that part of the book where they talk about a game because the one character, he's he's trying to win and trying to win and – he, he always just sort of barely loses, and he thinks he's getting better. And the guy he's playing against eventually tells him, he's like, I could beat you in two moves if I want to, but I, I'm trying to play a beautiful game with you. That's the point of the game. So so I, I get that. <laughs> okay. What I actually did get to play, I played uh, Fields of Despair, France, 1914 to 1918 by board game uh, by GMT. Not board game key. Uh, by GMT. <laughs> It's a block game from GMT, and um, I really enjoyed it, you know, and I'm always the worst to actually review games and tell you about, like, why I liked it and stuff, but um, I think we played for a good four and a half hours. Um, I really liked the mechanic of, um, and wow, here's me remembering, uh, of aerial reconnaissance in the game a lot... It's different than, like, um, Command and Colors, where you can see what you're fighting. Yeah. You just see the blank block. You don't know what how big my army is there. So you have to, like, send your plane over to, to check it out. And you have to, maybe I'll shoot it down or chase it off with my own plane. And uh, it's really cool. It's currently out of print, but, you know, with GMT, I think it's on the, um, the P500 at the moment, so... Yeah, when it when it comes back in, I think I'm gonna pick this game up. I I liked the theme, I liked the time period, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I was never much of a, a World War One buff, but just in the last few months, obviously with the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, I've been looking into World War One more and more. And I've we'll talk about it later. I played some World War One games, but this one's pretty cool because I haven't played it, but um, I've looked at it, and like you said, it's got some interesting very World War One mechanics, like you said, with the aerial reconnaissance, um, which was obviously a brand new thing. So that's cool. I like that. Um, the other one I played was One by the Sword, and I had no idea the history of this game. Apparently, when this game came out, it was a complete disaster. And it apparently GMT had to send people... New sets of cards, uh, errata, new rules, and uh, extra um, counters to fix this game. And uh, because the guy I was playing was, he was like, yeah, I pre-ordered this game. 
and it was a complete disaster. And, you know, it wasn't until, like, he's like, now, if you buy it, he said, I see yours is the second edition. You know, now if you buy it, it's great. You know, it's all of it's fixed and blah, blah, blah. It was a lot of fun to play. You had this mechanic of, like, you have columns, army columns marching around. You have to forage, or, or otherwise you take loss. You know, your, your soldiers will desert. And uh, it was really neat, like, because you would start out, like, with your armies in certain towns, and this is, you know, all around Bavaria and all this 30 Years War stuff. So we're, like, looking all over it, like, with a magnifying glass, trying to find this dumb town where I'm supposed to put this counter. <laughs> but, yeah. It was a lot of fun, and I definitely want to uh, continue playing it. It's I absolutely loved it. Uh, I love the mechanic of just... You're moving around, you know, you can fight uh, and capture these towns. You score points for foraging, you know, in certain areas, at least in the scenario we were in. But, you know, if you bump up against each other, you can offer battle. And, but the other person doesn't necessarily have to take it. So, interesting. And this is one that you and I both picked up from the GMT sale. I have not opened mine yet, but I'm looking forward to playing it. Well, yeah, it's a good game, and apparently this version is great. <laughs> Much better than it was. Uh, I did play some ASL. You know, uh, I got in. I, I honestly cannot remember uh, which scenario we played, but you know, I you know I got to play some, and it was good. Did you and, play with uh, tanks or guns or anything, or just infantry? Uh, it was just infantry. It was not That's starter good. kit, but yeah, it was just uh, just infantry. Yeah, and uh, it was still yeah, it was it was ASL. It was difficult for me to. <laughs> to win you know kept getting my butt shot off by um machine guns while i'm trying to maneuver around to get off the board and yeah so did you have fun i did good a lot of fun yeah um i i before i left for the convention i bought like the starter box and two extra decks for keyforge because which is a game from ffg it's a new game designed by richard garfield and um a guy at work mentioned, like, hey, you know, we could probably play that at work and in our off time, and it'd be cool. And so I bought it, and I left it at his desk, and I was like, hey, learn this while I'm gone. Well, I had no idea they would be there at Board Game Geek Con running demos. So I got a demo. And uh, it's a great game. It is, it's easy to learn, and it has a lot of depth to it. I, I believe. So let me ask you this, because yeah. you're the only person I know that's actually played it. it. It obviously just came out. After playing it, do you want to go buy more decks, or are you happy with a deck? No, it's you need to learn your deck. Okay. That's that's it. Because if you get another one, it may not necessarily be better. It will just be random. Right. And, you know, and that's that's how they did this whole thing. Where you know your deck is is permanent. It you cannot add to it. You cannot subtract from it. So you have to learn how to play it. Right. So is it a matter of okay? I played this. I like this game, but maybe my play style is a little more more scrappy or more aggressive or whatever. I don't know the mechanics very well. But are you going to go out and look for another deck and hope to find one that fits your play style better? See, that's the thing is, if you did, it it, it would just be random. You have yeah. no idea. That's because... what I'm just I'm fascinated by this whole unique random. That exact same thing. I mean, you might 
you might really like the game, but you don't like your deck, but maybe in the next deck's going to be bad too. How many decks are you going to have to go through before you find the right one? So it's not customizable, not really, because you're you're just hoping to get what you already want. So I think that's interesting. Um, I, I definitely want to get a chance to play this. One of my local game stores, um, I know when it came out, they had a demo weekend, and I think they're going to do it again. So next time they do a demo, I'm going to go try it out. I mean, there it's, was, it's there was one near me bucks. yesterday, and I managed to not go to it. I wanted to go, but I circumstances kept me away from it. So M, yeah, MS, MSRP for the decks are ten. The starter is forty, and the the only reason the the starter gives you two decks and counters. And do of you, course, you do you need the counters, or can you just print those, or how's you that can work? use you can use anything. Oh, okay. You know, for it. Essentially, what the way it works is you're trying to. Um, I think you're. I, I don't know what the story is. It's like you're on some weird space station or something. Or anyway, and uh, you're trying to harvest this particular type of energy. And that's all it is. Is you're trying to get the person who gets like thirty energy or whatever it is wins. Now in playing, it's like you put your you choose one house and your deck only has three houses in it. And I think there's five or six different houses period. So your deck will be randomly done with three houses. And so you choose, I'm going to play this house. And so you can only do, uh, use artifacts or, um, characters or whatever from that. And interestingly enough, it's not like magic where you actually are trying to injure the other person and drain their life. You're all you're trying to do is to get this energy. So it doesn't matter if you kill all the your opponent's creatures, you know, cuz you can't actually attack them. It's yeah, so I thought that was kind of uh, you know, an interesting mechanic. So you're just nerfing their progress. Yes, that's okay. exactly it. You okay. can steal from them. They can steal from you. It's just, you know, it's you're struggling back and forth for these resources, and the first person that, you know, gets to, I think it's 30, wins. So, you know, there you go. And, of course, uh, as we'll talk later in the show, uh, all these decks are generated by an algorithm, the name of them. And there's some pretty funny ones out there. And there's some pretty controversial ones yeah. that uh, have been pulled. And essentially what it is, you get your deck and you register it online. And so, you know, you can compete with it that way. So if you have one of these naughty ones, they you can't register it. And they tell you <laughs> to send, send it in and they'll send you another deck for, for your trouble. Except that if you keep it, it's going to be worth more. Oh yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Yeah. I wouldn't open it. I would immediately dump it out to eBay. <laughs> so I assume <laughs> you can't see the name until you actually buy it. The name is probably yes, on the inside. Until you open the box. Okay. You unseal okay. it and open the box. Although the cards are still sealed together. Yeah. But you you open the box. Okay. This deck's guess, name is Slutty Nurse. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, somebody posted one for Thanksgiving, something like "He Who Distributes Crispy Birds." <laughs> that that was somebody pulled that one, and they're oh. like, "Okay, well, that's pretty funny some, for Thanksgiving." Yeah, there's some pretty funny ones out there. Uh, <laughs> Lock and Load Publishing was there. They were kind of off in a in a corner, you know, and they were like, "Hey, you know, here we are. We're our, you know, the only the 
board game people here besides Decision Games. <laughs> and um, I got I bought a good bit. Me and my friend bought a good bit from them because we had an opportunity to buy at a discount. Because you know, lock and load generally isn't at a discount. I think uh, the only one uh, I think they're carried by Noble Knight Games, and I think it may be ten percent. But here, you know, they were often like 20 or 30. They're like, you know, we'll make you a deal. Like, you want to buy this whole booth? We'll make you a deal. <laughs> and, I'm, and we, so we did. We, we went and researched what we wanted and uh, had a deal. Oh, yeah. It also helped that apparently their website went live early with their Black Friday stuff. And so we, were pull, we pulled it up on our phone and we're like, hey, can you match this? And they're like, oh, I didn't know it did that. Sure. So, <laughs> so we what were you able get? to do that. Um, I got, uh, Heroes in Defiance, which is the German invasion of France. I've owned it before and sold it, not unopened. And, um, so I bought it again and then I bought their French and Indian war game. Cool. And I think, um, Chris ended up buying, I think, Heroes of Pacific. Heroes in the Pacific, whatever their Pacific game is from the Hero series. So it's pretty neat. I will say I hate I missed in their Black Friday sale. They had their rule books, which are done really nice. They're color coded. They were like ten bucks or fifteen bucks. I think their regular fifty would have been nice. But you know, anyway. And what else did I see? It was interesting seeing the different vendors and um you know, I, I you know I mentioned this after every convention I go to, but I'll mention it again just in case you're listening, vendors, companies. I don't understand why you bring your uh, stuff to these conventions and sell it at retail price. It makes no sense to me, especially when somebody is like War Store or whoever is there at the convention. And selling it at a discount. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, got you. I, I, yeah, I don't get it. I really wish, you know, you'd be like, hey, this is we sell it for this price at conventions. You know, hey, it's just no big deal. It's it's okay. It's okay not to get MSRP for it. But, I mean, I can't tell you how many games I saw that looked really cool. But I was like, you guys are selling it at MS, MSRP, right? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'll I'll go home and order it from Cool Stuff or, you know, Miniature Market or wherever. Or I'll just do that right here on my phone, and it'll be ready for me when I get there. <laughs> um, I, the, the other weird thing to me was there was a vendor there who was selling games at MSRP. And uh, not that, you know, the companies were there, but still, I was like, I don't get this. Every one of your games here, you can get from a discount retailer, I guess, if people really wanted them. Um, I will say another big thing that's that's happening um, in uh, gaming is Kickstarter editions showing up at retail. And a lot of these vendors had the quote-unquote Kickstarter edition of something, which somehow made it more valuable because it had a coin or something in it. There was a lot of that going on, so apparently that's a thing. Uh, the only other thing I picked up was some Tiny Epic stuff. I bought Tiny Epic Zombies at a discount from a vendor, <laughs> yeah. and then went and then went over to the you know who, whoever publishes them and bought the big mat for it because they're the only ones that had the mat. Have you played it yet? 
No, I haven't. And then I got Tiny Tiny Epic Quest as well. Bought that one. Yeah, there's so many versions of that. I I honestly don't know how different each of them are from the other. The only one I played was Tiny Epic Galaxies, I think. And it was it was fine. It wasn't. It didn't blow me away or anything. But it's a it's a really popular game, and there are tons of versions of it out there, and more coming out. Yeah, it's the there were a bunch, absolutely, but they had a four X, you know, game, they had the zombies game, you know, they had a dungeon crawler, it was all mm-hmm. these different types, all done by the same guy. And I guess the last thing I've been involved was uh getting back into Magic the Gathering after like twenty years. Uh if you follow me on other social media, you know I produce you know, uh, I work in television and I produce uh, my own stuff on the side. And I've started production on a documentary about a local guy who is just now coming off a three-year ban from uh, professional play with Magic the Gathering. So I'm doing a documentary on him. And after the interview with him, I was like, wow, you know, he made this all sound really cool. So I'm jumping back in to play Commander. And uh, I think I may even do like a supplemental podcast since I don't really want to talk about magic here. I don't think anybody cares. So I may do like supplemental with like a local guy or something. And we just talk about basically me just going, Oh my God, you can do that now. What is this? I don't understand. You know, it's old man yells at cloud essentially. Cause yeah, I'm completely blown away by the different stuff that can happen and be done and all this stuff. So anyway, Adam, can so you it, share why he was banned? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's common knowledge, and um, and of course, you know, I'm producing a documentary on it. Right. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to save it for the documentary. Yeah. Well, I know it's a story, and it is my my whole story isn't isn't that. It's just it's going to be him coming coming back off this band and how well he does. How because he has aspirations of where he wants to go next year, and so I'm going to follow him along and see if he makes it. Ah. Okay. Um. He was banned. Uh, he had a friend that worked for Wizards of the Coast who um, passed him a card, I- images of cards that were coming out. And one particular one had an odd symbol on it that had never been used before. So, you know, he's, it's, he's passing it around his little group. Like what, and they're all, you know, a Twitter about what, what is this little symbol. And he gives it to a friend of his who shares it in a private Facebook group for magic judges. And from there it gets tweeted out by a pro magic player. And that's where it all went to hell. Wizards immediately tracked it back to who it was. They fired the guy that worked for them. Um, everybody in that judge group got like a suspension for like a year oh, and, and whatnot. And yeah, and it was all this different stuff, and my uh, the the guy got three years, a three year ban. And uh, I mean, there's there's a lot more to it. There's you know, uh, they thought they went a little too far and pulled back the ban on everybody but this guy. And um, so uh, yeah, it's it's a whole story. Okay. So yeah, if you're you're interested, email me, and yeah, I can point you to the right place where you can follow along with this. Follow me on other social media. Uh, I think I mainly posted it on um, Instagram. I think is where it is, but you know. So there you go, uh, Rich. Take us away. Yeah, like I said, I've been on kind of a World War One kick lately. So for our last uh, 
STL Wargamers meeting, which was last week, I guess, we decided we wanted to play something from World War One. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did get a chance to play Path- Paths of Glory, um, but that's a like we said, a big six eight hour two player game. Um, I played that with a friend and really really enjoyed it. I, I, we're definitely going to play that one again. Um, it's it's uh, we actually he was he my friend was tweeting out. Um, pictures of the the board game, and he he even um, you know tweeted at Ted Racier who commented on it and everything. And he was saying, yeah, if this is your first time playing, you know, make sure you maintain your supply lines and everything. And of course, I didn't pay attention, and I immediately I lost two full armies in northern France because they got cut off. Um, so it's it's a brutal brutal game if you don't maintain your supply lines. If I have to play it again, I will move much more slowly, and I will do a lot more entrenching and basically do all the same things that made World War One last as long as it did. So um, it's a really really good game. It's fun because you can you know try to. Um, follow some of the historic decisions like I was playing the Central Powers and my goal was to get Russia out of the war as quickly as possible and I was doing a good job of that and um, but then other powers come into the game during play all of a sudden Italy comes into the game and they invade me from the south and everything's starting to fall apart so it's just it's it's a classic game and now that I've had a a chance to play it I see why it's a really really great game so um, then last week at STL Wargamers, we also got to play uh, The Great War, which – are you guys familiar with the Commands and Colors system? Yeah, sort of, yes. Yeah, so there's Commands and Colors Ancients, which I own and play, and there's a Napoleonics version. And then there's also The Great War, which is a World War One version. Um, and it's basically – it's a, maybe a two-foot by – 18 inch board that sits between the two players. So it's, it's a fairly small board, um, maybe a dozen rows of hexes to cross the entire board. And then you've got for commands and colors, you have blocks. Um, but for great war, you actually have little plastic miniatures. So you've got infantry and you've got grenade throwers, which they call bombers. You've got machine guns and mortars. And then the expansion, you even add tanks. We didn't play with the tanks, but um, you know, you're just trying to cross your, the basic victory points are just, you know, killing the guys on the map, but you can do it where you're trying to obtain victory hexes and stuff like that as well. Um, it's fun. I like it. It's a, it's a pretty light system, very easy to pick up. I do like the, um, in the, the difference in the dice between the Great War game and Commands and Colors Ancients, I thought that the dice were a little better in uh, Great War. And I don't mean the, the quality of the dice. I mean, like, what you had to roll to achieve certain effects. In Commands and Colors, you basically, you know, you've got swords that hit in melee, and then you've got red, blue, and green for heavy, medium, and light troops. And you're basically trying to roll what you're trying to hit. So if you're attacking heavy troops, you're trying to roll red. If you're attacking medium troops, you're trying to roll blue. It's it's weird. Um, you eventually wrap your mind around it, but it is a little weird. Um, in the Great War, I thought it was a lot – the dice made a lot more sense, where if it's machine gun, these hit. If it's a mortar, these hit, that type of thing. So we played that, had a good time. Um, we also played a game. Uh, this was actually a Kickstarter game called V Commandos. Have you guys heard of this? 
No. No. Yeah, I had never heard of it either. Um, and it was really fun. It was very difficult. <laughs> we, it was, I don't know, it was difficult in a way. It was easy in a way because when your guys die in the middle of the mission, they can just kind of instantly be replaced. At least that's how we played it. I think that's the way the rule goes. So they get replaced back at the entrance with another teammate, and you can keep going in. But basically, it's it's not a World War One game. It's more World War Two. Not not really historical, but you know set in World War II, that type of thing. And you play commandos that are trying to go in and achieve some objective where you're trying to steal information or assassinate someone or something like that. It's a co-op game. So you set up the map and then you each pick a commando that has its own special abilities and you go in. Um, The only thing I didn't like about it was the mission that we were on was very stealth-based. And no matter how good you are at stealth... Um, the guys that are in the room or maybe even have line of sight of you, they get to roll a die, and on a, it's a six-sided die. On a one or two, they see you, and then all hell breaks loose. So the fact of the matter is, no matter what you do, there's a 33% chance of the alarm going off, and then it gets much, much harder because they're going to start – I mean one of my guys got killed by an MG42, which is a you know, heavy German machine gun. You're not going to survive that. Um, it is a lot of fun, and then, you know, when the first guy dies, you can send a second guy back in the entrance. But other than that, it's it's pretty straightforward. Anyway, it was it was a Kickstarter game that someone brought, and it was very enjoyable. I gotta say, looking at it, I really like the look of this. I I like the look of the components and everything. Um, I and apparently multiple people have reviewed it. Uh, Geek Dad did. Uh, it's got the Dice Tower Seal of Excellence. Um, it's from Triton Noir, the uh, people that are doing um, a Kickstarter currently for an Assassin's Creed game. And I guess this, yeah, Kotaku uh, reviewed this game. And uh, so well, yeah, it's, it's kind it of a dungeon cool. crawler, isn't it? It kind of is, yeah. You've got a mission okay. to do, and you set out the board, um, kind of like maybe like Imperial Assault would be a good, or or Descent, which are you know those are dungeon crawlers. The board mm-hmm. is going to be unique each time. Um, there are you know you're going to know what the board looks like, but then you're going to the enemies are going to be getting reinforcements as well. And there are things you can do to stop the reinforcements. There are things you can do to thwart the enemy's plan so um there's lots of good decisions that you have to make as a course of the mission like i said the, the only problem i really had at it is i picked like the sneakiest guy and no matter what you do if they roll a one or two they're going to see you anyway so um hmm. it was still fun though yeah i don't think it's available at retail yet it looks basically like it's just a kickstarter thing at the moment yeah so, yeah the so. guy that brought it had said it was a kickstarter game and like i said i had never even heard of it so it's kind of cool to play a game i'd never heard of before yeah i guess he get he gets to be the cool guy that comes in and, hey guys look at my awesome game that i backed <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm like yeah it, it does it looks really cool uh and then let's see i played a, a family game my wife actually got this for my birthday because she played a game called Can't Stop as a kid, and she said she liked it so much that um, she found this game called Can't Stop Express, which is, I think, a smaller, quicker version of the same game. Um, it's a it's a very small game. It's basically the box is just scorecards. It's kind of like kind of like Yahtzee, where everyone gets their own little scorecard and they have to check things off. And there's five dice and a pad of scorecards. Is the whole game. 
But it kind of reminds me a little bit of the math game that Roy was talking about before, because it's a it's a mathy type game. Basically, you throw five dice out there, and you have to pick. Um, you have to add three of them up in your head to you know some number, obviously between three and eighteen, and then the other two you get to um, call your your wild dice and. Basically, the way it works, it's a game of probabilities. So from 3 to 18, or 2 to 8, yeah, 3 to 18, 3 is not going to roll very often. 18 is not going to roll very often. The stuff in the middle is going to roll a lot. Um, but you you decide what numbers you want to make in your head and how you can make them with the dice that are rolled. And basically, uh, I, I, I think we played it three times, and I never got a positive score once. We, our scores ranged from like negative a thousand to negative two hundred because it's pretty tough. Basically, once you decide on a number, so say, you know, I add up my nine seven, and I decide, okay, I'm going with sevens. You have to you have to check it five times before you get to zero. Anything less than that is going to be two hundred. But you can have multiple columns. You can have sevens checked, eights checked, nines checked. But as soon as you get a number that you don't have already, if you have to start a new column you're starting at negative 200 points and the game ends when you you've got those two wild dice the game ends when you check off your your last column for the wild dice so you're also trying to not use those because that ends the game early for you um, the other players get to keep going if they haven't checked them all off yet um, it's a it's a nice little fun mathy game that you just you know we roll five dice and all the players at the board are going to look at them slightly differently so I may say, well, I'm going to take the two threes and do this, and you're going to take the three and the four and do that. And it was a lot of fun. Very light now, game, great for families and kids. My my wife actually was a great fan of Can't Stop back in the day, too. Okay. And she's a fan of a game right now called Quix, Q-I-X, I believe it is, which is played with a red, yellow, blue, and green colored die, dice and then two white dice. And so you roll all the dice, and anybody can take the sum of the two white dice, including the roller. And then they can also the roller can also take the sum of one of the colored dice and the white die and, and check that off in their score pad. And so two colors start at 2, and the two other colors start at 12, and you tick off the boxes as you go along. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of it what you're describing sounds very much like this game called quicks yeah it does sound very similar which i think is uh from game right okay um but it's uh it's a game that we we take when we go to restaurants and just yeah. you know pull it out and and throw it around and everything yes this would be a great one for that because like i said the, the box is maybe four inches across and three inches wide and it's it's just the score pads and five dice so mm -hmm. yeah that's it it was right. a lot of fun um, I've been playing more and more Spirit Island. I've been, I'm a little bit obsessed with that one right now. Just been having a lot of fun with that. Um, we talked about, I think I talked about that last time, didn't I? Spirit Island. Yes. Yeah, yeah I do so, remember that. Um, I still, I, I did play it one time solitaire, and I lost pretty quickly just because um, one of the fun things about the game, the co-op game, is the players can help each other out. You know, one spirit has is very strong at this and another spirit is weak at that, but strong at something else. So they work together and solo it 
doesn't work as well. But you can play two spirits solo as well. I'm going to keep playing that, but I have been playing a lot of Spirit Island, and I like it a lot. And then finally, I played a game called Twilight Imperium. It's kind of like New Dawn, except for bigger and yeah. longer. Yeah. yeah. So. Had, tell me. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> we had... We had five players play it yesterday, and we finished in four hours and 19 minutes. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's really – people talk about how long it takes, and it's really not bad. Um, I mean I – except for the very first time I played it when we were – no one had even read the rule book, and we took – we went from 9 in the morning to after midnight with lots of breaks and even other games in between. Um, I'd say an average game for me is probably five – it's probably five hours is average. I don't think I've had anything go longer than six. So it's not bad as long as at least one person knows the rules and can help mm-hmm. the other people through it. So, um, but that's it. I mean, we had a great time playing it. I finally got to see a war sun, um, which is, and all the times I played, no one has actually built a war sun. Um, someone built it and had a good time. <coughs> Sorry, I, I got choked up. I was about to ask, like, you know, <laughs> how, uh, yeah, how long exactly did, did it take from, like, did you arrive and it was already set up? Yes, or? so I set up the game ahead of time. It was at my house, and I had, we had already picked factions, so it was literally sit down and play. So the setup do... itself takes um, more than half an hour. Um, but the actual, <laughs> actual from sitting down to finishing the game, uh, we started at noon and we finished at 4:19. Now, what was your board setup? Did you do uh, like a uh, out of the book setup, or did you do the random? So no, the, the drafted. No, we don't do drafted either because again, I wanted to have everything set up when everyone got here. We might try mm-hmm. that sometime. Um, but there's a, a website I can look it up and we can link it in the notes. It just it generates Twilight Imperium maps. Um, oh. So I knew that ahead of time we were going to have five players, so I just generated a five-player map, and um, it balances everything around. The book basically for five players says to do it like a six-player map except leave one space open, let some people start with trade goods. I don't like doing it that way because I think that giving people – especially giving someone four trade goods at the beginning is overpowered. So I like to just spread it around a little bit and just go with a, a random map that is actually balanced. There's a, you know, it runs a computer program and it balances the map. This one actually gave us a really kind of weird but also interesting and fun map where I think out of the six hexes surrounding Mechatrol Rex, um, I think only one of them actually had anything in it. The rest were, were blank, which was strange, and it obviously did affect the way the game was played. But I really like that website. That's usually the one that I use to generate the maps. Cool. All right, cool. Uh, I guess moving on to what's on your radar. And uh, this is, yeah, this would be kind of funny. Anyway, uh, what I have uh, was Mongoose Publishing was going to do a, basically a traveler dungeon crawl called Vanguard, boarding actions in the Fifth Frontier War. And I... I don't know enough about Traveler to tell you exactly about this particular history of uh, this particular section of history of Traveler. But as I went to check as, on this Kickstarter, it was canceled. Wah, wah. Uh, with 18 days to go, they raised 20 grand and they needed 64. Ooh. 
Yeah, I guess you want to be at least over. I mean, I, I would have backed this probably in the last 48 hours. I was kind of planning on it. But basically what they mentioned here uh, was they thought the price was too high. And, you know, I agree. And the only reason I actually was interested in purchasing it, it purchasing it is because they're maintaining that it will not be available at retail. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, I'll believe you until it, that doesn't happen and I have to turn, you know, then I'll never believe you and uh, I won't back anything of yours ever again. Did they say, but, uh, did they say they're going to try again? Like maybe make some changes and re-up it or what? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some, I mean, I hate it. They sit in there and argue, well, plastic miniatures are about the least cheap thing you can do with tabletop gaming and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, so maybe, you know, they're going to do a traveler fiction thing and some other stuff uh, ahead of time. And this could possibly come back. You know, I, I'll continue to argue that Mongoose Publishing, it, it's a, large enough company in my opinion that <laughs> they should just be able to put this out and people buy it take the risk not ask us to prepay for it especially if it's never going to come to retail anyway you know a lot of people don't mind getting something off the ground and paying a little extra just so this will actually make it to retail so when you say never coming to retail you mean even from mongoose or do you mean not at retail stores uh, that is a good question. That is a very good question. It may I I understood it to be not even retail stores. Okay, because there are some but, games um, like uh, was it Mechs versus Minions that they only sell from their own website. Right. But you'll never see it in a retail store. But it's it's available anytime you want it. You just have to get it direct from them. See, the weird thing about that is like what I saw at Board Game Geek Con. I saw so many company exclusives. Like, I bought the deluxe edition of um, uh, Tiny Epic Zombies, mm -hmm. which is supposed to only be available from them. I bought it from a vendor who had a bunch of them for sale. You know, and you saw, you know, you saw these people uh, doing, um, uh, what you call it, uh, uh, Kickstarter editions that they got somehow that uh people were buying so i don't know i don't know if i buy into that and i'll tell you another thing i wish i had actually written it down what it was but there was this one particular uh company was there and it was it was some space game where you could actually it had modular ships on it and it was like clearance for like 20 bucks and i was so I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting to me. So I am going to uh, let me pull this up on the internet and learn a little bit about this game. And come to find out, it was a Kickstarter game, and that twenty dollar game sitting there for twenty bucks went for like ninety on the <laughs> Kickstarter. So I was like, Dad gum, I mean, that's that's just something to think about. Yeah, you know, when you do it, it's it's yeah. My big one that I'm holding my breath for will be Joan of Arc. You know, they said Joan of Arc will never be for sale, you know, anywhere outside the Kickstarter. So I don't believe them, and I expect to buy it from Miniature Market at some point. So, But we'll see. You know, I, I could be wrong. Mm. So this so, uh, Vanguard yeah. game, 
uh, Adam, would you buy into this if it was cardboard standees instead of plastic minis? I think so. I, mean, I think I would. Since um, it's gridded I, movement, I mean, that you could do that pretty easily with that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to where I don't have to have miniatures. And honestly, they're kind of a pain in the butt for me at the moment because it's like, ugh, I have to get them painted. Yep. But, you know, or at least assembled because I don't do either one of those. And to turn around and actually play this game. Like, you know, Flames of War is super hot at my local store, and my army is still sitting at the painter, delayed. Yeah. And every time I walk in, they're like, when are you going to play, man? You know, you started this whole thing. You know, you buy so much, you haven't played, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ugh, don't, don't remind me. I get so... <laughs> It annoys me, you know, but it's like, you know, yeah. I'm totally with you. I mean, I haven't played Legion in probably two months now, and I desperately want to play it again. Part of it's just been because I've been playing other stuff, but honestly, part of it is because I've got too many unpainted minis that I, I'm not going to play with their unpainted. So I actually painted up, a, I painted up a bunch last week, and uh, I won't be able to play this week, but hopefully next week. Well, And I'm yeah, afraid to assemble them. Because yeah. I, as far as ease of painting, because uh, yeah, yeah, I just uh, I just dry assemble them and then prime them and then pull them back apart to paint them. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, move, moving on. Uh, there was a Reddit uh, thread with what from the what is this thing all one word uh, subreddit about this strange game that people found uh, in their grandparents' basement called The the Deadly Double, a game to play at your own risk. And it's really interesting to me. It's got a Board Game Geek entry and stuff like that, but it also has like some kind of urban legend and stuff behind it. Like um, uh, there's a Snopes article and uh, stuff on it about how it connects into um, uh, uh, Pearl Harbor warning and, you know, all this crazy stuff. So I'm just going to throw it on here and see what you guys thought. This seems like hey, something someone should make like a Nicolas Cage movie out of. Yeah. <laughs> it goes to or More of a deadly double uh, protector. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird, you know, all these weird games that, that were made. Because I remember, gosh, like 10 years ago... 10 or 15 years ago, somebody found a board game uh, like in their grandparents' basement or whatever. And essentially, it was a German board game produced during the war. And you shot down planes that were like bombing, you know, bombing Germany. You, you know, you operated flak and you shot it down. And so just kind of a thing. And so that, that kind of stuff is always, you know, interesting to me, that time period stuff. And, you know, that you had no idea it even existed. It just, you know, showed up one day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm glad you posted this link because now I'll have some, some reading to do on my downtime as I look out at all the fun conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. You'll, um, you'll be, draw- you'll be uh, <laughs> take- taking over the dining room, pinning things, drawing <laughs> with um, red, red thread yeah. between things. The connection's here. I know it. It's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I had was Squadron Stri- another Traveler thing. Squadron Strike Traveler has finally published. And 
Uh, apparently, this was like a Kickstarter at some point, and it took a long... Yeah, from 2016. And it took quite a... Uh, yeah. took, what, two years to come to fruition. It was, uh, I think they... Yeah, they wanted five grand. They raised 23000 And uh, just now made it to... Just, I guess, not retail. You know, made it to where you could actually buy it. Um... Interestingly enough, like I met Ken Burnside at Gen Con a couple years ago, having followed him because he produces, he does Ad Astra Games, which is one of the most complex um, space combat games, in my opinion. At least it's very intimidating looking because it's, it uses 3D positioning. And I did a demo with him, and he's like, you know, at the end he was like, see how easy it was? And I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but to get past all that, he actually had a guy make an app that does all the, the aiming and stuff for you. So, it, you know, it it will go pretty well. And um, with, with this, at that Gen Con, I bought a copy of Squadron Strike from him. So I didn't need the whole thing. I just bought the uh, the folio, which just includes the traveler stuff, and it's a particular um, war or something. And again, I don't know traveler history, but it takes place at a particular you know time period in traveler. And uh, I think like you could get yeah you could get fleets and stuff from him. Now it has been interesting because I follow him. I'm in a lot of the same groups he's in, seeing people complain about the pricing. And I get that. I'm a super cheap gamer too, but the and I'm used to buying things at discount. You know, I I completely understand. But I you know look I look at this. This is kind of a boutique game. This is just him. He's hand packaging all this stuff and mailing it out. It's just him. You know, it's he's the only one running this thing. You know, none of this stuff, as far as I know, is available in the store. You can only get it from adastragames.com. Or you can get, um, I think, print-and-play stuff um, from, uh, what is it, War Games Vault? Stuff like that, maybe. Or you can just get PDFs from there. From there, but yeah, like, you know, he had the, his fleets and stuff where he had them made, and they're like $70 or $65. I mean, they look great, but... You know, it's that I agree that is expensive, but you know, it's it's just him. That's how he does it. I mean, it's just boutique type stuff. Think of it like Kingdom Death, with you know, not all the weird sex stuff in, <laughs> in space, but you know. So, yeah, um, I had that on my radar, and I see my little scythe is here next. Yep. Who had that? That's me. And I, uh, yeah. before you jump into that, I was gonna say, for whatever reason. I have no idea why. For whatever reason, for like the past three weeks, that game has gone on sale everywhere. And I don't know if people, if they like bought too many of them. I've noticed that too. Or, 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 yeah, it's it's been on sale everywhere. And I don't know why. Oh, yeah. So I, I think right now from Cool Stuff is 35 Yeah, so the only thing I can think. And so if, if you're looking, if you're a Scythe player, my little scythe is fun to play with a kid, but it's not scythe. It it goes really fast. I mean, the game is is over before you can really start to develop a strategy. So the only thing I can think of is it's not if people were looking at it as some sort of scythe light, it's I don't think it really scratches that itch. I love playing it with my nine year old daughter 
because she can't play Scythe. Um, Which is but, why I got it. Yeah. So to that, play with that my nine-year-old daughter, not yours. Right. That right. would. <laughs> <laughs> you can come over. We'll and bring right. your daughter. We'll all four play together. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but that's the only thing I can think is that maybe it's not what people. Th- it's it's not Scythe with My Little Ponies. It is it is very much a kids game. Mm-hmm. So that'd be my guess. So. Uh, like many other people, I stood in line. There, my friendly local game store had 81 people in line for Black Friday. Um, wow! And so this is uh, one of the things that I picked up was this first item here, which I don't want to say the name of because of of ears in the house. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I picked that up um, to be um, as a Christmas gift. Um, so. We'll we'll have to see how that goes. So that's that's why that's on my radar because I haven't played it yet, but I kind of want to. Um, and then the next item too, if one of you guys could say the name of that, Tales of Equestria. So that's yes. a it's a My Little Pony RPG, right? Yes. Yep. So we um, that's going to be a, another Christmas thing. Um, so we'll we'll do some role playing too. So that'll be fun. Okay. Have you looked through the book at all? Yeah. Yep. What's the system like? Is it D20 or is it a D6? Boy, howdy, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> it's it's D10. Oh, okay. I, I want to say, I actually I actually think it's like D10, D6, D4. Okay. It, it, it's multiple things. I played it okay. once. I actually did a demo of it and had a lot of fun with yeah. it. The, uh, the one ring system is kind of like that one where it's, you know, you it, when you upgrade a skill, you actually upgrade the die that you use for that skill. I think uh, doesn't uh, Savage Worlds go that way too? I haven't played that one, so I'm not okay. sure. All right, but anyway, so this is uh, this is in our future, it, you know, in our household for the playing of these two games, which I won't mention the name of, but which are My Little Scythe and Tales of Equestria. Thank you very much. And I assume you'll be watching a lot of that on Netflix too. Yeah, I, I've watched <laughs> some of it. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So all right, uh, oh. on to news and uh, Roy, you had the the first thing on here. So uh, I happened to see this on Reddit uh, message from White Wolf. So there was apparently some of the uh, and and you know White Wolf has gotten in trouble before with kind of maybe a little bit out there objectionable content. And uh, there was they have a the Camarilla book is it was going to be in print and PDF versions. Uh, there was a section on Chechnya about the ethnic cleansing in Chechnya. And uh, so the parent company of, of White Wolf said, uh, no, uh-uh. we don't want to have we want to have pretend horror, not real horror. Was it there? So, a, wasn't there a video game like a first person shooter that had a like a Russian airport terrorist yes. scene or oh, something yep. like that yeah. a few years ago? Was that? I pl- I played that. It, it was one of the Call of Duty yeah. okay. series, and, and you you ha- you ha- by the time it came out, they were like, okay, this section is optional. You know, y- you won't get anything for completing it. You won't lose anything for not completing it. And that was basically the thing. It was an airport shooting. Uh-uh. Is what you did. You went in and shot up an airport, and I believe the plot was to frame America. For, for some stuff. Okay. Sorry, back to Roy. Oh, I just that reminded me of that one. So this uh, this thing about Chechnya that came in, the uh, 
apparently there was quite a bit of pushback over it. And so I believe that the the kind of the management part of, of White Wolf has been uh, kind of let go. And there's somebody else that's uh, taken over management of it while they take that stu- stuff out and reprint and uh, try to kind of steer things back to where they ought to be. Yeah, it's it's really interesting reading this, um, and I'm sure you're going to link in the comments, but I just want to read this one paragraph. The world of darkness has always been about horror, and horror is about exploring the darkest parts of our society, our culture, and ourselves. Horror should not be afraid to explore difficult or sensitive topics, but it should never do so without understanding who those topics are about and what it means to them. Real evil does exist in the world, and we can't ever excuse its real perpetrators or cheapen the suffering of its real victims. I think that's interesting because there is a point to be made there that there are terrible things that are happening, and can we not talk about those things? Can we not include those in games? What is the timeline for us to be able to talk about those things? I mean, as a as a strategy war gamer, and we we talked about this with uh, with Hollenspiel uh, a month or two ago. We talked about him and this guilty land. There are terrible things that happened, and sometimes we want to include those things in games. But can we include those things if those things are still happening today? I don't know the answer, but apparently, if you work in PR, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or I guess if it was just in recent memory, like yeah. I, like I said, I've got a guy I game with that won't play any war game where uh, the veterans are still alive. Yeah, but I mean that. Are there any World War One veterans left? There might be. No, no, the I actually looked this up recently. Uh, the last one died in the early two thousands, and he was like a hundred and. Okay, so, so I guess we can go. Uh, Maybe Russian Revolution is probably safe, and I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting thing to talk about. For me, the big news on this one was I had no idea that White Wolf was owned by Paradox Interactive. I don't know how I didn't know that, but I didn't. Yeah, they, they've changed uh, hands multiple times, and like the last time I played Vampire, it was second edition, so you know that was three editions ago, and uh, wow, yeah. it's it, The weird thing for me is like they always kind of they didn't court controversy, but they were controversial. There was always, you know, kind of raw and, you know, just stuff in there that, that was like that. They didn't seem to, like, shy away from this kind of stuff. But I guess it's a different environment now, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't read the particular passages, and it makes me wonder, did those books actually go to print? So if they're sitting on the shelf somewhere, that's going to be a collector's item <laughs> at some point. No, they're they're taking that out. So that's they said that the release of those are going to be uh, delayed some. Oh, okay. So they're not out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Well, it's yeah. And we, you know, we reported uh, I think on something they had before that just their the audience was complaining about. You know, and this is yeah. This oh, that was about was that about gender? Ah, <sighs> several episodes ago. I can't remember. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Back catalog. But, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The next thing you had, you put this on here, and I found it fascinating to me. Oh, this is you said, go take yeah. Tell oh, us uh, I just happened to see that Drive Through RPG and RPG Now are merging, which we were kind of under the impression that they were already merged, but now they've made one company together called One Bookshelf. So they're going to continue to operate both uh, websites and with. Uh, one that's kind of merged together 
uh, in development. So that'll that'll come in the future. Yeah, the reason why I thought they were the same thing is because their websites look so similar. You know, there's Drive Through RPG, there's uh, War Game Vault. You know, all of those have a similar look to them, and I thought they were all owned by the same company. So maybe I was wrong. <laughs> so oh yeah, looking here, Drive Through RPG stars without numbers on sale for five bucks. I, I recommend that. I paid twenty on the Kickstarter for that. So. Oof. Um, the next thing we had was um, fan favorite cool mini or not reports loss stock continues to slide and uh, they they posted a loss of 4.1 million for the nine month period ending uh, September 2018 the company blamed the losses mainly on decreasing kickstarter revenue and increased convention expenses revenue fell 32% the losses were primarily due to decreases in revenue from A Song of Ice and Fire and Arcadia Quest Writers. Now, I remember that when people talking about like it was crap or, or something and they weren't they weren't going to pick it up uh, for whatever reason. You know, it, it was a thing. But looking at that Kickstarter, I mean, they wanted 30000 and they made 316000 so where did all that money go? If all you needed was thirty grand, and you made a hundred, what is a hundred times over your goal? Ten times over your goal? No, it's a hundred times over your goal. I think I don't know. Math's not good. Anyway, uh, you made a lot more. So where did it go? Uh, that's what I understand. And it says their gross profit declined from forty-seven point five to thirty-nine point eight. Was it due to the increase of fixed costs? So to me, it, it just freaking boggles my mind. I, I don't I don't understand, and I talk about this all the time. It, you know how if you're asking me to to prepay for a game, how can you lose money on it, especially when I'm paying a higher price for it and then it's cheaper, you know, once it the Kickstarter's over. I I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I guess they're you know I don't know what they're doing. They're spending convention space hotel rooms i don't know but i mean how hard is it to just dial it back to go like okay we got three hundred sixteen thousand dollars. maybe we should bank that and you know just make a few of the i don't know i don't know but it's weird to me but i guess if they continue going like that by next summer we'll see asmoday will probably have purchased (laughs) them or disney or somebody yeah or at least just purchase their properties i mean song of ice and fire is obviously a big name property um i don't know anyone that plays it i've i've seen it in the stores and i don't really know anything about it that's a big name though and um simon i mean simon is a big name in and of itself everybody knows of some of their games Hey, I have a little add-on that I just happened to see um, on Tabletop Wire there where we got that from about Keyforge. Keyforge, the new game designed by Magic the Gathering designer Richard Garfield, may have just been released, commanding top dollar in the secondary market. A deck with two sets of four horseman cards has reached a total of $1,100 of 42 bidders on eBay in, in the U.K., other decks with horseman cards are being listed for anywhere from 200 to 
What are horsemen? <laughs> That's some. Apparently, you don't have any in your deck. <laughs> so there's there's a chase. I mean, that's there's going to be a, a deck chase. You know, in the past there's been a card chase. Now it's it's a full deck. Oh wow! So, See that? Yeah, that's why I can't get into it. What would be funny though is if these cards, these horsemen cards, are overpowered or whatever, and then FFG decides to just you know nerf them in the rules, and <laughs> people paid eleven hundred bucks for this deck of cards, and not can't it doesn't work it like they wanted it to. Oh yeah, I see it here. It's literally yeah. Horsemen of War, Death, Pestilence, and Famine, the four horsemen. And this particular deck comes from Hindpaw, the Impractical Tower Boss. That's the name of the deck. So I linked it there in our doc. Underneath so, the cool mini or not thing. I'll post this in the show notes. Yeah, I saw, there's one. This is... Well, now this one is listed at 215. Uh, you know, I, I, I will always kind of go by... Um, oh, completed? Completed, yeah. but... I don't know. Yeah, the, it's a horseman deck by Dis. Uh, D-I-S Mars. Oh, is that the... Yeah, I can't tell what house that is. It may not be Diz. I don't know. Or, you know, this could just be a thing of some uh, people going, hey, these are cool. And, you know, because, I mean, people are just, uh, you know, are driving that. Oh, yeah, there's an article from uh, uh, the 16th of this month uh, about the Four Horsemen decks. Yeah, that's the one so... I just listed there. Oh, wait, maybe not. Wow. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, this is from comicbook.com. I just saw from just just googling it. So, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So, <laughs> um, wow. All right. Uh, moving on. Um, the Clone Wars have arrived at Fantasy Flight Games and I I I couldn't be happier. You know, this this is exciting. I I want this to um Want this to work, and apparently it's it's X-wing first. Although honestly, I think I'm more interested in Legion and or Armada. Now it hasn't been announced for Legion, has it? I think that's just a rumor still. Yeah. No, or I, I want to say the the initial Clone Wars announcement said Armada, oh, okay. Legion, and, and X-wing. Okay, good. Yeah, into two, with, 2019, with I think. First. Okay. Yeah. So pro- maybe a new starter with uh, the clones and the the. Uh, the battle droids. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what people have been talking about. It. I didn't know if that was official yet because we saw. We'll talk about later the rumors of Legion and then finding out official stuff. But is this yep. so? Is this going to be a new faction for X-wing two, or is these just going to be ships that are available for existing factions? I believe it's two separate factions, including it's Separatist and Republic. So is that five factions for X-wing two now? Oh uh, yeah, yes. Uh, oh yeah, here it is. Brand new factions to X-wing. Wow. Yeah. So you've got, you've got rebels, you've got Imperials, scum and villainy. Scum and villainy is one faction, and now you've got separatists and Republic. That's five factions. That's a lot. Well, don't forget um, the the new the whatever the from the new films. Oh yeah, the yeah. Resistance oh, and gosh. Yeah. Holy cow. That's crazy. I just and, and, and you think about hope... it. X Wing Two has been out for what a month or two, and they're announcing Wave Three, and they've got seven factions. And I mean, it's 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 a cash cow, and they're gonna if, as long as there is a ship in the Star Wars universe, they can put it out, and someone will buy it. I don't I don't blame them at all. I'm just amazed at how fast it's growing. I would I I would 
hope that it would be you cannot play these against you can't do like you know republic against you know you can't play them in the same group as like empire and all that I, it would be nice to me but i, I don't think that's going to be the case though i'll bet you can play any faction against any faction probably because when i bought into the original um star wars uh pre-painted game uh, pre-painted ship game it was it was just this big hodgepodge it was strictly good versus evil so you would have your you'd have Luke Skywalker riding along with you know Ben Kenobi you know and and all this stuff and I just thought that was dumb but you know <laughs> nobody listens to me yeah. so so anyway uh, the next thing we had was Archon names and this is the the Keyforge Archon names and this is kind of like what we've touched on a little bit that there is uh, problems with some of them. And I'm going to pull this... Yeah, it's right here next to it. Now, this will be posted underneath it. You'll get the press release from Fantasy Flight Games, and then you'll get the Reddit thread that uh, linked all the vastly entertaining um, Keyforge uh, ones that are listed. Um, gosh, there was... Um, my favorite was... Uh, he was something farmer of racism. <laughs> was, was one, and... Um, there Wasn't was there like, one about uh, someone like punching the emperor in the head or something? The emperor that pays for boys. <laughs> oh gosh, was yeah, one. I can see why they pull that one out. <laughs> and uh, there now there was a there was a girl one that didn't get pulled, like she who punch headbutts the moon or you yeah. know something like that. So yeah, there there were some unfortunately named ones that were I think like there's like bruised Wang <laughs> or was one of them, you know so. It's like you know they're they're just yanking all these. Yeah, but like and, like uh, you said, yeah. you don't find the name until you open it, and if you open it, and you find some ridiculous name that is now banned. That's going to sell for more money than, you know, you may not be able to play it in an official tournament, but that's that's going to be the best deck to have. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> so uh, moving on, um, this is uh, Rebel Pathfinders and. Jen or Jen or Jen or so have are, are coming to yep, Legion. Rogue, and I think that Rogue be cool. One as well as their uh, their counterparts from Rogue One. Uh, Krennic is going to be out and the Death Troopers as well. So oh, those the Death Troopers would be cool. Yeah. yeah. So we don't really know anytime they tease this, you know, people start looking at the cards and trying to guess what it's going to be. Um, Jen looks to be very powerful from what we've seen so far, which I'm not really crazy about because if you just look at the abilities like the health and the courage and everything, she's equal to Luke Skywalker. And if she was a great character in a great movie, but she's not Luke Skywalker, and if she's going to be equal to him, that makes me wonder if we're going to start to see more and more power creep. I know when I played X-Wing 1 – you know, the game starts with X-Wings and TIE Fighters, and you play those in a while. But by the time X-Wing 1 ended and X-Wing 2 was announced, no one would ever play an X-Wing because they were terrible ships in that game. But that's literally what the game is named. So if if there's so much power creep that Jen Erso is just as good as Luke Skywalker, that, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah, it's – yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It could be an issue, although – Fantasy Flight is pretty good with their releases, and I don't know. It, it, I don't know if Legion is like X-Wing, where they 
put some stuff in the app where they can adjust points and stuff on the fly. They have not yet, but that's not to say that they can't in the future. They have released a couple different rules updates, and you can go online. You know, Obviously, the starter kit comes with the rule book, but you can go online and get the current version of the rules. Some of it is clarifications, and um, I don't think they've – I can't think of any major rule changes they've made, although they did announce one that I haven't read up on yet. Based, um, They did make a change to one of their spart- starting deployments, um, and I, I don't remember what the details were on that one. So we'll see. It's it, There's no reason they can't say, hey, we're going to do it on an app now just like we do an X-Wing, but we'll see. It does remind me, I posted it to my local X-Wing group, but I did not post it here. Um, they have leaked the Super Star Destroyer cards for uh, Armada. Is that the like the six-foot one that they showed at Gen Con? Well, I think it's two feet long, or maybe, or something like that. Anyway, it's 200 bucks, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I remember correctly. And, um, yeah, uh, I want it, but... I'll, I'll get that thing when it's like half off somewhere. You yeah, know? I yeah I really there's no way because I, mean, I mean nobody really plays Armada. I have to like make people play Armada here, you know, in, in order for that to happen. So yeah, but it has Krennic and uh, a couple of more, and you know a lot of other stuff I don't understand because I um I've only played Armada once, but yeah, I really wish it would take off because I prefer that way of playing much better. But anyway. So, moving on. Oh, dadgummit, I should have moved this up to the cool mini or not thing closer to it. But the Super Dungeon Explorer Legends Kickstarter is $750,000. That's seven hundred fifty with a K <laughs> in the hole. And a Kickstarter backer has filed a complaint with the Washington AG against Ninja Division for this long-delayed Kickstarter. And, um, yeah, despite raising 1.1 million net of Kickstarter fees, it's $750,000 in the hole due to project creep and bad decisions. Uh, this thing, it, it was collected at the end of 2015. Um, let's see. They only got $1.2 million. It's $13,000 in pledges bounced. I didn't know that was a thing. Ooh. Uh, they they had to pay out $103,000 to uh, Kickstarter. The project expenses was 485000 This includes license, marketing, outside art, sculpting, writing, etc. They paid out 53000 in refunds and an annual overhead of $343,000. This includes payroll, facilities leasing, and additional overhead. And it says, with the Kickstarter funds expenses, expended it was upon us to be able to self-fund the necessary cash needed to complete the project remaining estimates are they need about half a million dollars to manufacture it uh 238,000 to ship it and 17 grand left to develop it so damn i mean come on this is this is why people won't back ninja division you know anymore this is i don't know it's i really think you know, it's just like, how? I really think you should know better to be, I, I mean, would you actually just do, say like, well, you know, hey, we kind of got in over our heads. Maybe we should take it easy. Or do you just go crazy and like, you know what? Hey, we need a fountain in, <laughs> yeah. in our thing. You know, $350,000 for overhead. I don't know. It's maybe 
Jim shouldn't have worked overtime. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know what's this going one on. will be interesting to follow just because the one and I've already forgotten the name of it, but the one that failed a couple months ago that everyone kind of knew was a scam. You oh, know yeah. that one. That yeah, one yeah, got yeah. yanked before the 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 D Day came on it. So Kickstarter kind of dodged a bullet there because they never had to deal with. What happens when it completely blows up? Is Kickstarter going to bear any responsibility? This one is past that point, and obviously if this company is is bankrupt, they're not going to be able to pay out any lawsuits. Is somebody going to find a way to draw Kickstarter into this and make Kickstarter responsible for this, this platform they provided? I don't have the answer to it, but that will definitely be interesting to see how that one plays out. As I understand it, I think Kickstarter is like completely free of anything. No one has ever held their feet to the fire. You know, it's just like, yeah. hey, not us. <laughs> you know, we, we tell you. Yeah, so yet these things, you know, one good lawyer can change things. So we'll see. That is very true. You know, that you, you never know that something could happen with a good enough lawyer, and that's the end of Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, there's 15 replacements pop up. <laughs> you know. Jumpstart. What a what <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm going to register jumpstarter.com right now just to make sure. And see, <laughs> I only want a, a measly $150. <laughs> just come to our GoFundMe. That's all I want is 150 bucks, And you get, like, you know, probably a year's worth of entertainment. At least another episode. You know, hey, it's worth that. You know, at least maybe one. on time. At, at least all the, yeah, <laughs> at least all the way through Dice Dice Tower Con. Maybe a live show. You know, hey, who knows? Um, you know that's that's what I was thinking. Um, when I did the whole um, uh, when I was recording interviews at Board Game Geek Con, which I totally forgot to toss to. I'll edit that <laughs> in. Um, because I'm honestly not sure which ones. I have and all that, but uh, before I stuff happened and I had to stop. Um, uh, you know, if I had a Patreon, you know, that would be kind of a thing that you would do for, um, you know, just for your Patreon members. Like, okay, you get ex- you get exclusive. You know, you can have these interviews a week or a month ahead of time because I see people do that. You know, creating little content and stuff like that. So, you know, I I don't want to nickel and dime people or whatever. Just I guess just once a year, you know, I'll toss this in. Unless you guys want to send me to Gen Con or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's slow down. Let's just try for 150 bucks, And let's just be happy if we get 50 Yeah, that would be awesome. So anyway, um, the last thing we had was Hasbro license a chain of family entertainment centers. They license Kilburn Live to create, build, and operate a chain of, quote, family entertainment centers, unquote, in the U.S. and Canada. They will use Hasbro properties to create interactive, immersive, and innovative entertainment experiences in a high-energy, gamified environment with multiple activity zones. So is Hasbro, like, getting into, like, Chuck E. Cheese or something? It's hard to hard to know what they mean by this. I like the idea of it, but I'm also trying to think, and I know some companies own other companies. When I think of Hasbro, I think of – I don't think of good games. I think of you know super popular games that I don't really want to play. But I'm, does Hasbro probably owns some actual good games out there that I just can't they bring to mind right now. 
Oh, do they? That's right. They own Wizards yeah. of the Coast. So, but I don't think I, they're gonna. They're not gonna. No, they're not gonna do D and D. Have D and D cafes? Yeah. No. Um. Yeah, I like the idea of this. Again, we'll see how it goes. So. Well, see, you got to think broader. Don't think just board games. Hasbro also owns My Little Pony. Yeah. You know, so uh, you know, it it could be a thing like that. Uh, so yeah, it could be Pinkie Pie is helping you play of uh, uh, Operation or uh, whatever you call it. Whatever I honestly don't know. <laughs> you know, any of that. So yeah. Um, it's probably a good idea. It just depends, like where they put them. As long as you know they're they're putting them in like New York and not Jackson, Mississippi, they'll probably do pretty. So well, not not you know? in my backyard is what you're saying. Well, they could do <laughs> probably St. Louis much better than you know us. It seems like the sort and, of thing know, that would go into a mall, like a mall storefront. Yeah, and if if yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, gaming cafes are becoming more popular. This this could just be a way to enhance the local gaming store. Like you said, put it in a mall, have some things. That, I mean, they're selling food, they're selling games, they're having places to play games, make it an experience where a family can go rent a game and then probably buy it and take it home or something like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Although I guess, you know, mall storefronts are kind of going away too. Malls are kind of more more that's, of an '80s thing now. Yeah, that's true. But they're morphing into those outlet mall type things, mm-hmm. where it's just a long, you know, winding train of you know whatever. It, and essentially, the reason why is so they don't have to heat and cool the uh, the interior. Oh yeah. So, you know. And uh, yeah, they save tons of money that way. You don't have kids, uh, you know, uh, hanging out or causing problems, scaring old people, skateboarding, you know, whatever. Those those terrible youths do. So, uh, yeah, that's... Just <laughs> damn youths. So it, it would work. Yeah, the damn youths. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it would definitely work pretty well. So, all right, I think that brings us to the end of episode 119. Hope you like it. Hope you Hopefully you will uh, drop us a few dimes, a few nickels, whatever, uh, on our... Um, GoFundMe and um, yeah, absolutely. Let's spread this D and D hashtag D and D under the tree all around. Buy at least one. Give it to somebody. Give it to a kid. You know, and uh, yeah, make some kids Christmas with the D and D starter set. You know you want to. So uh, that's for us. That's it for us. So good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>